Genesis chapter 4. If you don't want to hear about sin this morning, if the Lord's given me any understanding, it's because you're living in sin. You're playing with sin. If you want to truly follow God and please Him and live a spirit-filled life, you want to hear about sin because you know I'm not going to paint it in a very rosy picture. I'm going to tell you what it's like and what it's like in God's eyes and what it should be like in our eyes and what it's going to cost you if you play with it. What is sin? Sin is breaking God's rules. God has given us rules of what we're supposed to do. He's given us rules of what we're not supposed to do. If any of you think that I'm simpli- I simplify things, I do, because I've got, fit- I've got 60 members in here, ranging from children to adults. And I want to make it simple, because I want them to understand. Sin is breaking a rule of God. God has given rules of what we're supposed to do, He's given rules of what we're not supposed to do. And sin is when we break those rules. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7, we have one of the first sins. Not the first one, but one of the first ones. And it's rules about giving sacrifices. God wanted blood when a sacrifice was made. A life needed to be shed to show that sin was in the world. Now Abel brought of the fat of his flocks to the Lord and killed the best of his flocks and offered that as a sacrifice. Cain, because he wasn't a shepherd, he was a tiller of the ground, and so he thought he'd bring some of his produce. After all, it was a whole lot prettier than a bleating, bleeding lamb. But the Lord didn't accept it. And here's what the Lord had to say about it. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. If you'll take the fact that your first offering has not been accepted and you'll bring the right one, everything will be fine. But if you don't bring the right one, sin is at the door. The breaking of God's rules about sacrifices. And there was the second generation of a sinner. The first one was Adam and Eve. They had sinned. And now it was Cain. Why don't we learn? Didn't Cain know about Adam and Eve eating the fruit off the tree of knowledge of good and evil and why there was that flaming cherubim there keeping the way of the tree of life and why they couldn't go back into the Garden of Eden anymore? Why didn't Cain learn his lesson? Because he was just a bad guy? He was, he was no more a bad guy than Abel was. God saved Abel and let Cain go. And so Cain brought forth fruits of wickedness. And that was to take the commandment that had been given to him and to break it. And not bring the offering that God wanted. And that's what sin is. What is sin? Bring blood. Cain said, I want to bring grain. And that was Cain's sin. And he's given to us as an example from this place all the way to the end of your Bible in the book of Hebrews as an example of a wicked man who broke the rules of God. Sin is breaking God's rules. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. God said to Cain, sin lieth at the door. You're about to go out that door and commit a sin. 
And what he was about to do was just not do it God's way. And we've been over that before. He was, was he at the right place? Amen. Was he worshiping the right God? Amen. Was he bringing a sacrifice? Amen. Was it costing him something? Yes. Not good enough. The Lord wants it done the right way. Genesis chapter 39. We know this story is Joseph is down in Egypt, and he is serving a man named Potiphar, who is the head and captain of Pharaoh's guards. And verse 7 tells us, It came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's what sin is. There it is, the word sin. Joseph knew that God had said that a man's wife was his property, and he wasn't to mess with that man's wife. And so look what he does. He refuses the overtures, though he has everything else in the house, a great position. He refused. But look at his explanation. If I were to do that, that is sin against God. There is no way I'm going to do that. And he rejected her over and over and over, trying to get him to lie with her. That's sin. Sin is breaking the rules of God. Joseph didn't break them. Joseph knew the rule. Joseph kept the rule. Joseph refused to break the rule against great temptation. That woman kept hounding him day after day in the privacy of that home. He could easily have gotten away with it, the way the natural man reasons, but he didn't. He refused that woman. He didn't sin because he knew what God's rules were. Do you know what God's rules are this morning? I've started off with one. When someone repents, we forgive. We don't hold bitterness, resentment, or wonder why there's not being some joy expressed over us because we've been so good. That's all a lie. That's what the Pharisees thought. God has withheld you from doing what you want to do because within all of us, Hell is ready to break forth. Hell is ready to break forth. And if you think you're even a little tiny bit better than hell breaking forth, you're in sin. Because you're listening to your deceitful heart. If God doesn't preserve us, we're capable of anything at any time. Do you know the rules of God? Here's how we find out about sin. Come over to Romans chapter 3. What is sin is what we're answering right now. What is sin? We saw that it's breaking God's rules. Cain broke the rule. Joseph wouldn't. What a man. Joseph was a great man. And he told the woman to her face. You know, he didn't say, I don't have time right now. He didn't say, we might get caught here. Let's meet somewhere else. He didn't do anything like that. He told her to her face. God gave you to Potiphar, my master. And this would be wickedness if we were to do it. It's a sin against God. No way. What a man. That's a stud. 
Right there. That's a Phinehas. That's a son of Levi. When you can say no. You know what this word, you know what this world teaches us? It's the stud that says yes. It's the real man that goes ahead and does it. It's the real man that's the lady killer. In the Bible, the real hero is the man that can stand up for God and tell that woman to bag it. I'm not going to sin against God. That takes 1,000 times the maleness, I'm being very polite, that it does to give in. Romans 3.20, what is sin? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Here's the words we want. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law teaches us about sin. If we didn't have rules from God, we wouldn't know when we had sinned. If there were no rules, there's no sin. But God gives us rules so we can know what God expects of us and so that God can show us how wicked we truly are. Because if you read the rest of this chapter, the real reason God gave the law was to show us how wicked we are. Because he can restrain us from anything he wants to restrain us from. But he wanted to show us that we have wickedness in our hearts so that Jesus Christ would mean all that much more to us. Look at chapter 7. Same book, Romans chapter 7. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. That's a ridiculous thought. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. The law doesn't make us sin. We've got all the sin within us. It's the law that points out the sin that is within us. Paul said, If I hadn't had a law, I wouldn't know that all my lusting was wrong. Now, he knew he lusted. What does the word lust mean? To desire something. The word lust means to desire something that you don't have a right to. God has told you there are some things you're not supposed to want. But how would we know that unless there was a rule that said, don't want those things. And so God gives that rule, and that rule is, thou shalt not covet. Paul thought he was pretty good. But all of a, one day he was taught, thou shalt not covet. And that rule showed him that he was breaking it often because he was desiring things that he shouldn't. That's what sin is. It's breaking God's rules. And we find out how sinful we are by learning God's law. Psalm 119. It ought to be one of your favorite chapters in the Bible. 176 verses long. Each verse, a capsule statement about the law of God. Amen and about its rules and the effect learning those rules can have in your life. Amen. My children, my younger children, added this week Psalm 119, 128 to their repertoire, and it's a verse that we've all known for a long time. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. In the past, we've put more emphasis on that verse about false doctrine out there. I want to put the emphasis on that verse on the false practices in here. Amen. I esteem all thy precepts. I es- what that verse means is, I honor all your rules about my life, and I hate everything that I do that breaks those rules. Amen. That's how that verse should be applied. Amen. It is so easy to fight Catholics. 
It is so easy to fight Hindus, but can we fight ourselves? Sin is breaking God's rules, and we learn those rules by learning His Word. And by learning those rules, we find out that we've got more sin in our lives than we thought. That's what preaching is. It's exposing your lives to the light of God's Word and all the rules He has for us. And His rules are not grievous. His rules are not crazy. They're not whimsical. He didn't make them up just to punish us. They're wise. And if you go counter to them, you're going to ruin your own life and displease Him. And they're not hard. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But you got to come to Him and get down on your hands and knees and put that yoke on. You want to stand up and think you're something. His rules are onerous. Sin is any activity that you engage in without faith. You know where I'm going with this one, don't you? Let's go to he- what you know, Hebrews 11.6. Everybody in here could quote it, couldn't you? But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Amen. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Any activity, even breathing, without faith in God, that God gave you life, God gave you air. God has preserved your breathing ability. God gave you lungs. Thank you for the beautiful air. Thank you for the cool air. Thank you for the dehumidified, chilled air. All of it going back to God. If you're not doing that, you're sinning. That doesn't mean every single nanosecond of your life You have to be thanking Him, but the Lord knows that by faith, everything you've got and are, are because of Him. And if you, when you pull back on that, if you don't believe that God is, and that He's a rewarder, you're sinning. Everything is by faith. Look at, in your Bibles, at Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Who can start this verse for me? Or who can say what I'm going after? Proverbs 21 and verse 4. The plowing of the wicked is sin. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Let's not let there be any high looks in here. You know, next Sunday you're going to get a chance for a high look. You all know what I'm talking about? Next Sunday is an opportunity for a high look. I'm thankful there's a God that sees it. I hope no one in here sees it, and I hope God doesn't see it. There's going to be an opportunity for a high look. There's going to be an opportunity for a proud heart. But for the grace of God, there we go. That's right. That's right. But that's not what I want the verse for. I'm just going to keep reminding you. I want us to all please the Lord. And I know that any sin, all sins are equal. It doesn't matter. Go out and shoot someone. It's no different than holding a little hatred in your heart. The Bible tells us that. To hate someone in your heart a little bit is the same as going out and killing them. Because it's a violation of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Proverbs 21 and verse 4, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Why is the plowing of the wicked sin? Because he crosses that field, turning God's soil, breathing God's air, 
relying on God's sunshine, expecting God's rain to bring forth food to keep him alive by the grace of God. And he doesn't give God any recognition of that. He's messing with God's dirt, breathing God's air, and kicking out carbon dioxide, and taking God's sunshine without being thankful for it, or believing that God sent it. The plowing of the wicked is sin. Everything we do, I don't care what intimate act in your life, I don't care how mundane is brushing your teeth. Thank God you've got some. I'll give you a few pictures of those who've lost them. You'll be thankful. Everything by faith. Be thankful to God and know that God gave it and that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Amen. Anything, even life, living without faith is a sin. Because without faith it is impossible to please Him. And if you're not pleasing God, you're sinning. Right. Even here it says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Romans 14.23 would tell us whatsoever is not of faith sin. is sin. That was meat offered to idols. If you do anything and you've got a doubt in your conscience, which means you're doubting if this is pleasing to God, then it's sin. It becomes sin to you. It could be an activity that isn't sin at all. But if you're doing it wondering if this is pleasing, it says doubt. He that doubteth is damned if he eat. Because if you're doubting if this is acceptable, then you're sinning. That is a powerful tool if you're ever wondering how to live a holy life. Right. If you doubt, don't. Right. <laughs> Doesn't that make it easy to live a holy life? Amen. If you doubt something, don't do it. You say, I'd be left reading my Bible, praying, eating, working, loving my family. Amen. Amen. Go for it. Let's do it. If you have doubts about it, don't. Because he that doubteth is damned if he eat. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That's what sin is. Now, brethren, there's two kinds of sins. God tells us not to kill. If you go and kill, you have committed a sin by breaking that rule. That's a sin of commission. You have done something you weren't supposed to do. God has told us, Pray without ceasing. If you don't pray, then you've omitted something God's told you to do. That's a sin of omission. Sometimes we do things God's given us rules not to do. Sometimes we don't do the things that God's given us rules we're supposed to do. Both of them are sins. I want to show you that omitting what God's told you to do is a sin. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 17. James 4, 17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's getting so personal. That means that God has varying degrees of righteousness for all of us. To him, not to everyone, but to you. To you, if you know there's something you should do that is good and you don't do it, to you, it is sin. It might not be sin to the other person because maybe to them they never thought of doing that good thing. But if you know there is something good that you should be doing and you don't do it, it is sin. 
That would be a sin of omission by not doing something that you know you should do. Let's move on back to Proverbs chapter 24. We're still looking at what is sin. We've seen that it's breaking God's rules. Proverbs chapter 24 now. We've seen that we know God, we know sin by God's law because we break it. God's rules. By learning God's rules better, we know that we're sinners more because we see ourselves breaking them. We've seen that anything without faith is sin. We've seen that omitting things that are good is sin. Now I want to go after your insides. Where does all sin originate? In the heart. And that is where we get self-righteous and foolish and wicked and proud because we look and say, they did it, I didn't. But you have it all in your heart. You're just as guilty. Do you know what the great sin of the Pharisees was? I haven't. He did. They hated those harlots. Give me a prostitute saved by the grace of Jesus Christ over any stuffed THD from any seminary. She'll be a Jesus Christ-loving, Bible-loving, truth-defending, sacrificing Christian for the rest of her life. To whom much is forgiven, the same loveth much. Give me that kind of a saved sinner. Don't give me one of these self-righteous people that think inside, well, I have never done that. You've got more than that in your heart, and you're showing it by your very words. Because you've got hatred for a sinner that God loves. Let's go to the inside. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 29, 24. Proverbs 24 and verse 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. Wow. You don't want to hear these kind of rules, do you? The more we hear these rules, the tighter God's expectations around us, the more we find out we're sinners. The thought of foolishness. Every one of you young people, if you think about doing sneaking something on your parents, every one of you children, if you even think about taking something of your parents or sneaking out of the house on your parents, or let's get up to the adult level, the word fantasizing, you know, one of the great words of the 20th century. I've been asked numerous times when I've been a pastor, is mental fantasy wrong? The thought of foolishness is sin. Do I need to counsel you? I don't believe in counseling. In that sense of the word, I believe in giving you the word of God. It answers it. You don't need an explanation. The thought of foolishness is sin. And there's a temptation in married couples to think that they can get away as long as they're staying with the right partner with a little bit of mental fantasy. And somebody will say to me, yeah, well, a little bit of mental fantasy enhances the marital relationship. Only in the flesh, you fools. Not before God. You've got a problem if you've got to help your marital relationship with some mental fantasy. You've got a problem that's a spiritual problem, and you can only solve it by getting right with God. Because the thought of foolishness is sin. Don't discuss it. Don't debate it. Repudiate it. Our, our whole society. All these little novels for women. I want to tell you something. A romantic novel for a woman is identical to a pornographic magazine for a man. Not a whit difference. Not a whit difference. Amen. And the little self-righteous women that go around 
Nah, 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 nah. You shouldn't be looking at naked women while they're at home reading their little romantic novels where an imaginary, illusionary fantasy man is set up that goes around loving them and always saying nice things and being their great, charming hero. It's the same thing. They're creating an illusion for fantasies. You say, well, I read Christian romantic novels. Well, I look at Christian Playboy. So what's the difference of a Christian woman naked or a Christian character being produced in order to take a woman's mind away from her husband? There isn't any difference. It's wrong, wrong, because the thought of foolishness is sin. And the thought that comes from those novels is, if I had someone like that, I'd be happier. Oh, no, you wouldn't, because you're not happy with God. If you were happy with God, you could be happy with any sister in the world. Well, you might be able to be a little happier with one sister over another, but my point is absolutely true. The issue of marital happiness is to have the right relationship with God. The thought of foolishness is sin. What did Jesus say about desiring a woman in your heart? Did he say you've already blown right through the seventh commandment? Absolutely. Because those Pharisees said, we've never broken the seventh commandment. We've never committed adultery, even though their hearts were filled with adulterous thoughts and fantasies, and they divorced their wife whenever they didn't like her. Did you know that they had a divorce for every cause back in those days? And that if you simply got tired of your wife because she didn't look good enough anymore, you could divorce her because they would run back to the divorce law of Deuteronomy 24 and excuse themselves. Now, if I see a woman that looks better than my wife and I divorce my wife to get that woman, Jesus Jesus could see through that. Can you? That's adultery. Whether you've got a divorce decree and a marriage certificate or not, that's adultery. And Jesus knew it, and Jesus also knew it. If you look at a woman, and you're thinking about having her, and wanting her, and scheming to get her, you've committed adultery. The rules of God, don't you try to play with those rules to excuse yourself. The rules of God are strict. But they're strict for our benefit if we'll keep them. You play with anything that I'm talking about, and you're going to mess up your life. You will not be happy. You'll be frustrated. You'll be lonely. Your marriage won't work. Your family won't work. Your spiritual life won't work. You'll wonder why I'm dead spiritually and lean. It's because you're playing with some of these commandments. If you want to sit there and think, well, he's going a little too far. Oh, no, he's not. The thought of foolishness is sin. I usually don't go far enough because I'm too timid just like the rest of you. But God helping me, I want to be a Phinehas. Look at Job 31. Let's see what Job thought. Was Job a righteous man? Did Job Job like evil or did he eschew evil? He He hated evil. God loved Job. Job was a hateful man. He hated evil. He eschewed evil. He abhorred it. He didn't want it in his life. And here's what this man could say about himself when he got married. Job 31 and verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? That's that's like Joseph, isn't it? What character? I've made a covenant with mine eyes. My covenant is, I'm only going to look at my wife. I'm only going to think about my wife. I'm not going to think about a maid. I'm not going to lay in bed and fantasize. I'm not going to lay there half asleep and fantasize. I'm not going to allow thoughts like that. 
And we have a whole society now that we've got, we've got the, the media of communication in all of our homes. We've got the magazines and the radio and the television and the internet, all of it communicating with us. It can bring you little helps to help you fantasize and think about foolishness whenever you want it. They didn't even have it back then. What kind of magazines did they have? None. What kind of television were they watching? None. What kind of radio? CDs, novels, books, internet, email, chat rooms. They had nothing. And now we are facing a bombardment from Satan of all these influences in our lives. We live in the last days. The Bible tells us that. I'm not being a sensational preacher. I'm telling you, we have a lot to war against our souls. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Job said, why should I even think upon a maid? Turn to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26 at verse 24. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips. I'll help you. That verse means when a person hates someone else, they lie about it when they talk. That's what that clause means. That's the sense. Let me read it distinctly again. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips. The sense is when a person hates someone else, they hide it with their mouth. They say the right things. They say the nice things about another person but they're hiding the hatred in their heart. What does God think about that kind of an activity? Is that a sin? And layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. It's wickedness. Let's make sure that our hearts are clean from any hatred toward anyone. It doesn't matter what you say. We're so good at that. We're so good at putting on a front. We're so good at saying hello, good morning, blah, blah, blah. But in our hearts, we're hiding hatred. And the Lord says it's wickedness, and he's going to reveal it before the whole congregation. we got to root that out. We've got to cut it off and kill it. This is all inside. No one gets to see it except you and God. But God says, I will eventually expose it to the congregation. Let's make sure there isn't any. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. I'm still working on the fact that sin is even in your mind. The thought of foolishness is sin. We looked at a couple verses about marriage where Job said, I won't even think about a maid. We just looked about hatred. Now I want to look at another one. Deuteronomy 29. Here's Moses. He's, these are some of his final words as we get toward the end of Deuteronomy. And he's laying out the law of God, the rules of God for the Israelites. And he says in verse 19, And it come to pass, when some man heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart. Everybody should listen to this. That a man hears the preaching of the word of God and he blesses himself in his heart saying, 
I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. Here's a man that hears the preaching of the word of God, and he says to himself, I can get away with it. I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to get judged. God isn't going to see it. I don't need to worry about it. That's what the man says. Here's what God has to say. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. That's what God thinks of us ever having a thought of foolishness in our heart. The thought of foolishness is sin. And if you think, I can get away with it, or it's not that big of a deal. And no, we don't sit down and reason forcibly that way. It's a subconscious thought, oh, this ain't no big deal. Oh, I'm not going to get caught. Oh, it doesn't matter that much. Those are the kind of words we use. And there's a holy God in heaven that is saying he's, his, his wrath is going to wax hot against that person and he's going to blot his name out from under heaven, right. thinking that there isn't a God that sees and rewards sin like that. What does Amy Grant sing these days? He's watching us from a distance. Is that the song? God is watching us from a distance. It's not these days. It's an old song. It's sick. It's a lie. He's watching you close up. And he sees everything in your heart. And if you imagine in your heart that you can get away with foolishness, he's coming after you. What was the point we were just answering? What is sin? Sin is breaking God's rules. And it even applies to thoughts of foolishness. The thought of foolishness is sin. And no, brethren, I wasn't graphic enough. I wasn't graphic enough. We live in a society where we're being bombarded to play with all sorts of sin. And it all starts with a little thought of foolishness. Do you know that if you haven't been entertaining thoughts of foolishness, you don't get up one day and walk out the door and do something crazy? It doesn't work that way. Sin isn't like that. Sin's a little trickier than that. Sin never comes up and holds you up. And says you gotta do, you gotta rob a bank today. Sin starts out with you in your house with an imagination in your heart that you play with. Remember what David said in Psalm 101 and verse 2, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Where did sin come from? Everybody wants to know. Where did sin come from? Well, it came from God. God didn't make sin. And God didn't make anyone sin, but it came from God. I don't want to spend very much time on this point, because I hope you all know it from five sermons entitled, We Are the Clay. I hope it's so easy for you to reason through the fact that if God didn't want sin in the world, do you know what? It'd be a sinless world. If God didn't want sin in the universe, Lucifer would still be singing his praises as the morning star of God. God made creatures capable of disobeying him. Then God didn't preserve those creatures, but let them fall. Some of the creatures that were capable of disobeying him, he didn't let fall, but he preserved them by his grace, and it's called the elect angels. He chose them so that they wouldn't. And he preserves them, and the rest he preserves to eternal judgment. How did sin get into the Garden of Eden? Why Why did God let Satan in there? 
knowing that Satan was going to tempt Eve and she was going to fall for it in less than one minute's time? Why did God let Satan in? Why didn't he put Michael the archangel down there to keep Satan out? Why didn't God put a fence about 20 feet tall around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't God make Adam incapable of sin? Why didn't God put the flaming cherub there at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to keep Adam and Eve from it? Come on. This is simple reasoning. I don't know why men have so much trouble with it. Unless we think for just a second, then we know they hate a God that is that much in charge of their lives. They want to somehow surprise God with sin. I don't see any surprise at all. I see sin as one of the great features of his eternal counsel. I will allow sin into my universe. I will plan its arrival. I will plan its origin. And I will show to the universe that I can take some of the lowliest scum and forgive them by a punishment that I will exact out of myself in order to magnify my forgiveness and grace. I think it's glorious. It doesn't bother me a bit. I think it's glorious. And the rest of those creatures, so that the ones saved won't think that it was easy and that their salvation was not costly, I'll let them suffer for an eternity in hell to know what I think of sin. Especially the ones that want to say that I'm the author of it. Because he isn't. How bad is sin? Look at Romans chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 tells us to comfort the feeble-minded. That means that in a congregation there's going to be a few feeble-minded. And our purpose toward them is not exhortation or warning, it's comfort. But you know, when it comes to this point that I'm going to make right now, we're all feeble-minded. We cannot grasp it. It's too big. It's too high. David said, I will... I'm not haughty. I will not exercise myself in matters too high for me. Well, we're going to exercise ourselves for a minute, but you're not going to be able to grab it. The point is this. How bad is sin? One little commandment that didn't matter to anyone. It was a victimless crime. Eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't hurt Eve, didn't hurt Adam. For Adam to eat it, he wasn't doing anything to Eve. For Eve to eat eat it, she wasn't doing anything to Adam. They weren't being a bad influence to a nearby school. They weren't hurting the neighborhood standards. A victimless crime. Little tiny commandment. I mean, after all, you can eat the fruit off of every tree in the garden, but don't eat the fruit off that tree. What was the consequence of eating the fruit off that tree. Death. death. Okay, death. What kind of death do we have? We have a man dying immediately a spiritual death. Amen. No longer could he have a relationship with God. He now hated and feared God, and God hated him. 930 years that same man had to die. And all 930 of those years, he had to think about dying. And all those 930 years, he got to see himself in the process of dying. 
Then he got to know when he came home from the hospital with his wife and they had Cain and they had Abel that every descendant that they were going to ever have was going to be just like them, could never have a relationship with God, but they would hate and fear God and God would hate them. And that they would only grow up to grow down and die. And then Adam and Eve and their children could all go to hell and suffer everlasting torment in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That's all. Have you grabbed it? That's sin. How bad is sin? Sin is bad enough that one little commandment took every fetus, every baby that God doesn't save by sovereign grace to hell. Every descendant of Adam and Eve. How many do we want to estimate have lived in the world since Adam and Eve? A hundred billion? It's somewhere around there. The earth hasn't been populated heavily like it is right now, unless it was before the flood. That is horrible. I'm not exaggerating it. All that's found in the Bible plainly. One man and one woman, it didn't even matter whether the woman ate it or not, one man took one bite of a piece of fruit off a tree where God had made a rule, don't eat it. In the day that you eat it, you'll die. But that word death is huge. He died spiritually to God. 930 years later, he had to die physically. We haven't had one in this congregation, brethren. We need to see what ha- what death is. I don't pray for I don't want it. I don't pray for it, for anyone in here. It's horrible. And then you go to hell. No relationship with God. You, ha- you're bo- you have to die physically, and then you go to hell. All of the descendants, because of breaking one rule. Is there a little thought in your head that says that's not quite fair? If you have a little thought in your head that says that's not quite fair, you know, that's the old man, that's your flesh welling up against God. You're forgetting how great God is. You're forgetting the perfect garden he made Adam and Eve. You're forgetting the perfect marriage he put the two of them in. You're forgetting that they could have communion and fellowship and a relationship with God every day. You're forgetting how great he is and how small they are. You're forgetting that he said, Of all the trees in the garden, thou mayest freely eat. You're forgetting all that. Why is the one sin that God, why is the one tree that God said don't the tree they wanted? Because Satan came after them. And they gave place to Satan by entertaining him in a conversation. There is no entertaining the devil in a conversation. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How bad is sin? That's how bad it is. Look at Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. If you mark in your Bibles and you want to help yourself with Romans 5.12, you'll draw a little circle around as, and you'll draw a little circle around so, and you'll connect them with a line. That as so English construction is explaining exactly how death passed upon all men. 
and how we all became sinners, all in one verse. The as-so construction, as by one man, so death passed upon all men, and all became sinners. By Adam, single transgression. Let me keep reading. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not a... Now, to whom did God give all of his rules? Moses. And then Moses gave them to the Israelites. I mean, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. And all the other commandments were given to Moses. Were there laws between Adam and Moses? A few select laws, very isolated, to a few men. But overall... There wasn't a law. Because it says in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. There were men that lived and died between Adam and Moses who never broke a rule of God like Adam had. But they died anyway. Do you know why they died anyway? Because they were connected to Adam in a covenant relationship. That is the horror of sin. That God, For one little commandment, the fruit off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, death passes on us in three different stages to unto all men. And that last stage of death is eternal torment, as if the second stage wasn't enough, as if the first stage wasn't enough. Sin is horrible. And it's breaking a rule of God. Oh, for more Josephs that would say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And rebuke that woman to her face. That is a studly man. That is a great man. That is a glorious man. In our society, and I know I've already said this, but I want a war against what you're fed when you leave this place. Our society says that the lady killer who has lots of women is the great man. And the word of God would tell us the opposite. He's a whoremonger that God's going to judge and grind into powder. And the great man is the man that can say, how can I sin and commit this great wickedness? How bad is it? Well, he drowned the whole earth. If you ever wonder about babies and aborted babies, sorry for using the word fetus, let's just call them aborted babies. Forgive me. Society, aborted children. I want to tell you something and don't bark against God. Romans 5, 12 through 14 tell us that they are as guilty of sin as any one of us. God doesn't owe them salvation. There's nothing in the nature of God that says he has to save them. If God saves them, it's by pure grace and mercy, just like he saves us. No difference. Men died between Adam and Moses who had never broken a rule of God. They just lived, ate, and died. And they died because they were connected to Adam. And every child from moments of, of its conception is conceived in sin and is connected to Adam. And God is just and holy our first parents should have thought about it before they played around with Satan and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What David said 
regarding his little child that died does not overthrow Romans 5, 12 through 14. It can mean the grave. It could mean that God gave David special knowledge of that child, that he was going to see that child in heaven. But God hasn't promised that to children. I want to move on to the fact that God would judge sin by drowning the whole earth. You know I've gone over this before because it is true, and it's true history, and it's the events of history we ought to think about. Whatever your favorite sin is, is it being bitter against someone? Is it being self-righteous? Is it adulterous thoughts? Is it fantasies of sexual sin? What is your favorite sin? God drowned babies, old folks, newlyweds because of that sin. He drowned them, choked, suffocated the life out of them with water. Unmercifully. There was no mercy for them. That's how bad it is to break the rules of God. And we forget that. And we overlook that. Amen. I'm going to tell you how to measure sin. It's to look at Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary and you'll understand how bad sin is. What did God do to his only begotten son? Did our Father in heaven love his son? Amen. Had Jesus Christ in the 33 years of his life pleased him always? Amen. Who's ever had a perfect son for 33 and a half years? God did. A perfect son. He loved him. This is my beloved son Amen. in whom I am well pleased. Amen. What did he do to him? He ground him to powder. He pulverized him. He bruised him. He forsook him in his greatest hour of need. He left him. He allowed Satan and the dogs to bark against him on that cross. He pounded him. He pounded him with agony that was so great he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And this was his beloved son. This is far worse than what the sons of Levi did to their sons. To have your head cut off with a sword without any warning is no suffering at all. But Jesus, God didn't do that to Jesus Christ. He bruised them. There was pain and anguish of soul in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what it took to pay for sin. How bad is sin? You look at the cure for something and you know how bad it is. Chemotherapy is a whole lot more than cough medicine. Because cancer is a whole lot more than a sore throat. And so you look at the cross of Calvary and you see what God had to do to his own son, the son that he loved, the son that pleased him, the perfect son. And you see what God thinks about sin. And don't say to me, it's because there were so many sins. Sin isn't quantified like that in the Bible. It was Adam's one sin that sends the whole race to hell. Any one of your sins if Jesus Christ would have paid for it on the cross, would have required the same payment because the payment for sin is infinite payment for the infinite justice of a holy God. Amen. And we play with them. Amen. Pass the sin, please. Let me have another helping. We toy with them in our head. What a fox. Oh, what a fox. What a babe. Yes, all you young men, listen to me. 
He drowned the earth. He puts a whole race in hell. He ground his only beloved son because of the thought of foolishness in our hearts. Sin has hell to pay. How bad is sin? It's got hell to pay. Every human soul ever conceived. I don't care if the woman miscarried two days later. That human soul conceived, we believe, as a child and a baby. It is attached to Adam's sin. And it's got hell to pay unless God, through Jesus Christ, saved it. Hell is the lake of fire, brethren. Remember? Or have you forgotten? I know it's been a couple of months since I preached, is there a burning hell? Hell is a lake of fire. I don't like the thought of drowning, and I don't like the thought of being burned. But the lake of fire means I get both. Amen. The lake of fire is not something imagined up by fire and brimstone preachers. It's something the Word of God teaches. And, if, and yes, I'm sorry that there are no longer any fire and brimstone preachers in this country. Amen. It's not politically correct to talk about hell. I think it's the most correct subject of all. That's what we deserve. That's what we better be taking heed against. That's why we should be resisting Satan, and that's why we should love God through Jesus Christ for the salvation from that thing. How can you love God unless you know what he has saved you from? Right. <clears throat> hell isn't short punishment, brethren, and hell isn't long punishment. It's everlasting punishment. You don't even know what I'm talking about because I don't know what I'm telling you except that it tells me that in here and I'm supposed to tell you what it tells me from here. Amen. It doesn't tell me it's short. It doesn't tell me it's long. It tells me it's everlasting. It is absolute loneliness from God with the highest degree of torment and suffering forever and ever and ever. That's how bad sin is. You say, that's only bad sins. I want to remind you that it was eating a piece of fruit off a tree. No one was murdered. No adultery occurred. Nothing was stolen. A piece of fruit was eaten. But God had said, don't touch. Don't eat that tree. That's how bad sin is. Let me quickly tell you this. I have more for tonight. I, I'm so excited about some, I hope, some things that might help you. The Lord has opened my understanding to see a problem that I had in my own life in the past where you saw me with leanness of soul is because I hadn't repudiated sin enough. I want you to learn to hate sin. And not hate other people's sins, hate your sins. It's easy to hate someone else's sins because then it justifies you hating them and thinking well of yourself. We need to hate our sins. Amen. Every one of you have favorite sins. And if you don't think you do, you're sinning if the thought that you don't think you do. Right. Because it's a thought of self-righteous pride. 
You just need to examine yourself better. What does sin cause? Brother Mark already said it. It causes death. Sin brings death. Sin kills. You know, we've got bumper stickers on cars. Speed kills. Why won't they put sin kills? Sin kills. Who cares about speed killing? There's three deaths, brethren. You get killed by a speeding car, so what? You sprang me loose from this world. And I get to go to heaven. Big loss. Horrible. But let me tell you about sin. Sin kills three ways, but nobody wants to talk about it. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. You, you brethren and sisters that are getting older with me, or am I the only one? Nope. We look in the mirror and we realize what in the world is happening to the shape, the texture, the strength, the form of it all. It's rotting right in front of us. Yep. You know, I, I look at my, having had grandchildren around recently, you look at their skin, it's so smooth, it's so supple. You know, what kind of oil of Olay do they need? They don't need any oil of Olay. God's given them oil of Olay. It's beautiful, it's supple, it's smooth, it's firm, it's precious. The Bible tells us, Flesh is fresh as a child's. And I look at mine. I've been, I've done this the last few weeks. I look at mine and I say, wow, thank you, Adam. I see it right there, eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then I get my parents and I realize I'm a little behind them. And brother, we should be able to talk about it in here. We're family, aren't we? We're the family of God and God loves us, but we're all going the way, we're going the way of all flesh. Thankfully we are, because he's going to get rid of this flesh so that we can be in heaven with glorified bodies that are incorruptible, and I'm going to have flesh like the fresh as a child's forever and ever. But we're heading there fast. Do all of you know it? Like, I see it? And it's caused by sin. What does sin cause? It causes death, and we're seeing ourselves die every day. We're born dead to God, We get to watch ourselves die for 75 years, and then we die the second death of being tormented in hell. But do you know what? Jesus saved us from all three deaths. All three? Yes, indeed, all three. We have a relationship with God as His Son. We have a body that's glorified and lasts forever, and we're saved from the second death. I think Jesus Christ has wrought a great salvation. All three. He's wiped out all three stages of death because he suffered all three stages of death on the cross. He underwent the torments of hell for us. That was separation from God with intense and the highest degree of intense sufferings to save us from all three. We ought to be happy to sing songs of praise to Jesus Christ any time of day or night. Because of what he's done for us. In the Bible, it's called the unspeakable gift. What does sin do? It causes death. You can go to Ecclesiastes 12 sometimes and see what's happening to our bodies as we get older. In the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes 12, the wise man describes our grinders stopping because they're falling out of our jaws. The shades of the window aren't working well anymore because we can't see as well. The music, the uh, the sound of music is low 
not because they're playing lower. You can't hear as well. And a whole lot of other things, some of which are very neat for men only. But in Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 7, God describes the decay of the human body. That's what we get because of sin. Sin stops prayers, brethren. If you're playing around with sin, if you have the thought of foolishness, you can get down and pray for anything you want. Your prayers don't go anywhere. If I regard iniquity in my heart, this is simple, isn't it? This verse, Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin binds you in cords that you can't get away from. I'm going to talk more about that tonight when I say that sin lies to you. Sin will lie to you saying, oh, you can just commit me and then you can stop. At least you should try it. Shouldn't every person try this sin once in life? I mean, look at everyone else is doing it. Shouldn't you try it once? Then you can repent of it and then you'll be all You'll be all taken care of. You heard the pastor on Sunday. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Go ahead. They're all doing it. They're doing it all the time. You're only going to do it once. Can't you do it just this once? And then you can confess it and God will forgive you. I want to tell you something about the lie of sin. Sin, if if you commit it like that, especially with that thought going in, because God knows that thought when you go into it, That sin is going to wrap you up in cords like a straitjacket and you won't be able to get free of it and you won't be able to repent. And I know what I'm talking about more than anyone in this assembly. You will not be able to repent. Proverbs 5 verse 22 tells me this. I've read this to you before very personally. Proverbs 5 22. Speaking about the wicked man in Proverbs chapter 5 that goes after a strange woman instead of his own wife, it says in verse 22, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Sin will tie you up that you can't get free. Only by the grace of God. So that brings us to a New Testament verse. Remember, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. There is a snare in sin. That snare is owned by the devil. If you look on the bottom side of that snare, it is stamped with a metal stamp that says Satan. And when you sin, you give place to the devil and you are held in that snare. And unless God, peradventure, by his grace, only by his grace, gives you repentance, you are caught. And you are taken captive by him at his will. That is a horrible predicament. What does sin cause? Sin causes you to be bound with the cords of your sin. Sin calls for demons. When you play with the rule of God and you break a rule of God, you are calling for demons. You are giving place to the devil. You are allowing an open door for demonic influence in your life. That is what it means by giving place to the devil. You're giving the devil a foothold in your life. Why don't you just have a little seance and ask for Satan to take your soul? 
You're horrified at the words like that coming out of your pastor's mouth. But if you're going to play with the rule of God, you're doing the same thing. He is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He wants to devour your soul. We are in a war, I told you last Sunday. A war against our souls. And when you play with a sin, your sin, your favorite sin, every one of you have favorite sins. When you play with those little rules and you want to break them and you think about breaking them even in your heart, you give place to the devil and you call for demons. And they're much stronger than you are. They can torment your soul. Oh, brethren, but prayers answer. I got to chase this little, little. God answered our prayers. We turned someone over to Satan. It's called the spirit of fear. It's horrible. I hope you all understand what I'm saying. I appreciate the video camera helping us spread the preaching of God's word farther than our own congregation. But I wish sometimes I could speak to you more plainly so that no one would miss my point. I hope you all understand. Sin calls for demons. Sin grieves and quenches the spirit of God. You say, you've told us that before. I know I've told you that before. Don't you think I know that? I am sick and tired of having people say to me, I'm just lean in my soul. I just don't feel like living for the Lord. I'm just not very emotional about loving God. I just don't feel on fire for the Lord. I get so sick and tired of hearing that. Do you know why? Because you didn't hear me the first time when I said, Sin grieves and quenches the Spirit of God. The reason that our religion and worshiping God and hearing His Word preached and reading the Bible and praying loses its luster because somewhere in your life you broke one of God's rules. And when you break God's rules, what should be a flame, what should be a fire, is reduced to a flicker because you quench the Spirit of God. Your whole spiritual existence is by the Spirit of the living God. And when you sin, you take water and douse that flame. And you are dependent on that flame. And so when you come to me and you say, I just feel so cold spiritually. there It's simple. Examine yourself. Somewhere you are playing with sin. Root it out of your life. You say, but aren't there those times where God just may leave you? Yes, but I don't think that's our big problem in this church. When, we, when I think that's the big problem, then we'll work on that side of it more. The big problem is that we play with sin. We have a thought of foolishness. We break a rule of God or we don't do what he's told us to do. Like all the women in here, all the duties they have toward their husbands. How many have done them faithfully? If you have not done them faithfully, you are playing with the rule of God. You are asking for demons in your life. You're giving place to the devil. You're grieving the Spirit of God. And you're going to be bound with those cords. And you'll never get out of it. And you'll say, I've never loved him since we got married. And there's a reason for that. Because you played with sin. And you wouldn't keep God's commandments towards your husband faithfully. I could go on and on and on and on about every one of our duties. It's that basic. There are duties that you owe your husband every single day. 
And if you don't do them, then you're saying God's rules aren't important to you and you can get away with it because that rule isn't all that important. Well, why don't you say that to my sins? Because everybody wants to justify their own. Sin grieves and quenches the Spirit of God. And if you play with sin, you're going to be, you're going to be bound up in the cords of your sin. Just hear what I've said. Let me just summarize and I'm done. Here it is. Sin causes you to die three ways. Sin stops your prayers so God doesn't hear you. Sin ties you up in cords so you can't get loose. Sin calls for demons to come and oppress you in your life. Sin stops the Spirit of God of having a holy influence in your life. That's all. That's what sin causes. Now, who wants to go out of here and play around with the rules of God? May the Lord have mercy on us. Amen. Tonight, we'll look at some ways on how sin works so that you'll be forewarned and what we can do to defeat sin in our lives by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please stand with me.